0: podcast. I'm your host, Steve Pugh, and I'm joined today with uh, how's the best way to introduce him? Ah, I know he is my he is a planeswalker. Oh, oh my God, I screwed it up. No, it's not planeswalker. It's planeswalker, right? Yes, it It is is a planeswalker. Okay, it is. Oh, my God, I'm gonna screw this up. I'm gonna screw up my own joke. He is a (laughs) planeswalker from my eight favorite color of Magic the Gathering cards. Uh, I have the the honor to have the wonderful, the impeccable, the just absolutely ridiculous career, the, the amount of stuff I've got him on here for. He is an award-winning producer. He is a sag a union actor, and he's a voiceover artist, uh, Conrad Warble. Uh, how are you doing? Did mean, I screwed up your name? Oh my God. <laughs> it is not the first time I've done it. I'm not even gonna edit this out because I like people to know that I am horrible at names.
1: And you're just before. fine. You're human. <laughs> I, it's okay to I be human. I even made
0: sure to talk about it beforehand. Like, hey, I want to make sure I say your name right.
1: And you're like, <laughs> yeah, this is how you say it. And I go, yep, I screwed it up. Roble. It's okay. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, you're not the worst one on the list regarding mm-hmm. how they've pronounced or written it down. My personal favorite is, uh, while I was in college, uh, Jimmy John's. I called them for a very late night sandwich delivery while I was working on a edit and the guy just couldn't understand me. He's like, Conrad what? Conrad Ro... I'm like, Conrad Roble. He's like, uh, okay, I got it. And I get my sandwich and the receipt says, Conrad Robocop. I like that though. That's bi- <laughs> I was like, God, yeah, he, go. did, he got it right actually. <laughs> Um,
0: well, I usually type it when I type these things up. I type it phonetically, so that way I don't screw it up. But I was so just in the moment typing, and I typed it properly. And in my head, and I, I did this with a, a, a wonderful dude. He's a Lego master builder, and his name oh, is cool. Dana Knudsen. And I kept saying, and I was so focused, on his last name right. I called him my other co, one of my co-hosts that comes on, David. So I said David Knudsen, and he's like, "You must know another one." And I was like. I'm leaving these in. I'm leaving these in, and I i miss the part. Like, its worst part is it screwed up my joke because I was hoping you go eight, eight different colors, and I was like, yeah, you know, there's all the, and I was going to go through all the manas, and then I was like, there's spots that are open for you know potential new manas that might come out, like you know, fairy or psychic.
1: <laughs> I always thought it'd be purple or like purple. light purple. Purple. How um, about aubergine? Can we do ooh. aubergine? Right. Yeah. That's a lacking color. Uh, I did. I did catch that you said that. And in my head, I was like, one, two, three, four, five. There's gold cards. Uh, mm, There's artifacts. uh, And then there's the silver artifacts now. I I was, I honestly,
0: (laughs) I just went with a random number. I was like, I have to make sure there's more than five.
1: But I was last. Harumph, sir. Harumph. (laughs) I was leaving
0: spaces for opportunities here. No, but you, <laughs> that that is actually how we got you on the show because our, our, we, have, we share a mutual friend, Rochelle Henry, who is an absolute adorable woman and an amazing actress.
1: Wonderful um, human being. He,
0: she is just overall amazing. And she has done Magic the Gathering modeling. And we were sitting there talking about it and she was showing me off these cards. And I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And then she showed me yours. And it's like, that's Jace. I don't know many cards, but I know that's Jace. And she goes, that's my good friend, Conrad. I'm like, that's awesome. She's like, you want to talk to him? And I was like, I would love to talk to him. And she goes, he's really nerdy. So that's, (laughs) I'm like, that's even better. We have a podcast about that. So it was it was not a hard stretch to get you on the show at all. Not even. And I think we hit it off really well, which was amazing. Like as soon as we started talking, I'm like, this guy's gonna be my bestie. I like this guy. We were just ch- chatting it up hardcore. It was, it was, it was a bromance. It was an adorable moment.
1: It was um, a beautiful <laughs> beginning of a
0: relationship. I love it. I love it. And <laughs> but you are very nerdy. Which is mm-hmm. you do a lot of different things. You are into Dungeons and Dragons. You are into Magic the Gathering. You have done Star Wars stuff. You have done so many different things. And I, like, I'm trying to look through the list of things that you, I remember us talking about, like you and you and your brother. Your brother is just as equally as nerdy as
1: you, which is a special bond. Ooh, he might be more nerdy. I mean, he's an engineer. <laughs> that is, he can do math. Oh, yeah, no. Um,
0: I used to work with, <laughs> so I don't think I've actually talked about this on the show, but I used to work with uh, nuclear engineers in the Navy. So out oh, in wow. Rotten, Connecticut. So I worked with, uh, we call them a uh, surface fleet. We call them bubbles and they call us targets. So because oh. they're underneath and they, yeah. So, but, so, but we have this fun rivalry, but these guys, I mean, nuke engineers are some of the nerdiest people I've ever met in my entire life. And they, they were my people. I loved working with them. So yes, knowing that your brother's an engineer, it absolutely makes sense, but we didn't come here to talk about him today. We came here to talk about you and all the things you've done. Um, But I actually was telling some people about this. And my first question that I want to ask you is when you play Magic the Gathering, do you always have your card in your deck?
1: Because I feel like I would if I had a card. So I have a blue deck that is one of my mains. And I do have my card in it. Mm. Um, But I don't always play with that deck. actually have a couple core decks that I love and adore. I've got a big green stompy. Uh, I've got this um, really fun red, green, blue enchantment uh, oriented control deck. It's Mm. it's super unusual. It uses Boriboros and it eats mana and then takes control of stuff Mm. um, when it works.
0: (laughs) But I just I mean, that's awesome, but I would just feel like I would always play my card to the point where it would annoy the heck out of my friends and be like, I play me. And they'd be like, what?
1: I play me. <laughs> I don't even just, have that, to pay the mana because I'm yeah, already like, I'm just, it's, me. It's, it's me, it's me, it's <laughs> me. I'm playing me. That's me. And I would only play myself if I had a card this big. I mean, that then is I awesome. would drop that.
0: And that is a that is absolutely amazing um and i wanted to get to get into your actual career itself and talk about some of the amazing things you've done but i'm curious uh how does it feel especially as a fan of magic the gathering to have a card and not just a generic card but a planeswalker card as well as a decent card that is still very much playable
1: i'm still trying to accept the fact that it happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it it's a dream come true. Yeah, I started playing magic when I was five years old. My brother's four years older than me, and he and his friends were doing it. Mm -hmm. And as older brothers tend to affect younger brothers, I wanted to play, too. Mm -hmm. So I started at a very young age before I could pronounce half of the cards names. (laughs) Um, And and I just kept going. And I I love the game. I love the. the challenge of, of crafting really good quality decks that work in a variety of situations, I love it when I'm playing against my friends and they upset those really good plans. And, and you know it keeps things interesting and I've enjoyed watching as Wizards of the Coast rolled out different ways of spicing up the game, like adding planes and adding a commander decks, um, I just. It's, it's been a lifelong passion and I got really lucky. Um, I was able to, I've been working with Rochelle for over 10 years, not to date myself, but um, <laughs> she gave me a call while I was in Seattle and I was mm-hmm. just visiting at the time because I'd already moved to LA. And she said, hey, um, there's this live art uh, modeling uh Thing? Uh, do you want to be a part of it? And I was like, yeah, of course. You always bring me into cool stuff, of course. And I show up and it's uh, Kieran Yanner, who's a regular Magic the Gathering artist, and it's Tyler Jacobson and a couple of their other friends. And they start taking some pictures of us on uh, different poses and in, in a couple different different uh, sort of mock-up outfits. And then Uh, Tyler's like, okay, now Conrad, I want you to put on this robe, and I want you to put on this this chest piece, and it's this leather wrap, not like a girdle, but just a whole bunch of straps, and I looked at it, and I looked at the cloak, and I went, no, (laughs) no, and he looks at me, and he's like, you can't tell anybody. I didn't even tell you what it was, but you can't tell anybody. I'm like, (laughs)
0: yes 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 yes
1: yes 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 and he he didn't tell me what it was until it actually came out I knew it was going to be Jace but I didn't know I was actually going to be the planeswalker card that's that's so that's so cool like no matter no matter what you do from that
0: point on you have something that is permanently in history that is very much popular and if I'm not mistaken now I'm I'm going to be honest here I'm not the most huge Magic the Gathering player. I've dabbled here and there, especially, oh my God, I can't remember what set it came out. Was It was Pirates and Dinosaurs uh, was the set. It came out probably like four or five years ago. I digress. But yeah, if I recall yeah. correctly, your card is actually on the booster packs too. It's actually one
1: of the display things. Yeah. And it's... it's a core piece of the set so like
0: that is that's so there there's I, i'm going to keep saying that's cool because it really is i'm legitimately jealous and i have no reason to be jealous because i've never even attempted to be a magic the gathering card but it's one of those things
1: it's like it, it, how do you do it, it it's it's yeah. just a dumb luck wonderful opportunity that i was i was lucky enough to be in the room for
0: Yes. And to our listeners, that is Conrad's adorable cat. You have two of them, correct? I do. <laughs> so we may hear them in the background. It's all yes, good. Yes, you will. I took off their uh,
1: jingly bell collars to at least minimize the zoomies, but...
0: Oh, yeah, no, it it, it never
1: works. Yeah, one of them just likes to walk around screaming.
0: <laughs> I have them when mine were cat uh, kittens. Uh, they used to run right above my my ceiling and you would just hear them in the background i'd be sitting there having a serious come and people would look and you could see their eyes and they'd be like what was that cats this is what they do (laughs)
1: um
0: but you have going back to this you, you have done these cards would you ever do them again have you been
1: offered an opportunity to ever do it again i i was reached out to um uh, one more time to do uh, mm. cards. I don't know if they were going to be Jace oriented or not, but uh, unfortunately, I was on a show at the time and traveling and I could not make it back when they when the window of, mm. of shooting the reference photos was because mm. the, the way that they do it is they they bring in a model, they put on a, a basic get up that is similar to what the end result should be because mm. they don't actually make these costumes um, ahead of time because it's still concept art until it's printed Mm -hmm. and they take some photos of you in various poses um and often they'll take a lot of poses and different costumes and they're all actually for the same card and they composite them all together and it's just they're all reference photos so that they can have very accurate um descriptions or depictions of the human body and Mm and and reactions and that's part of what makes magic the gatherings art quality so good and so unique Mm. is they they do try to reference as much real imagery as possible. And I've always loved it.
0: Did you get to meet any of the other? uh, For lack of better words? Did you get to meet any of the other planeswalkers
1: while you were there? um i knew that they were making another one um i'm blanking on the name it's all good, uh, no, it's all one, good. Of the, one of the white cards um and i remember they were talking with rochelle about it i don't know if she actually ended up modeling it um mm. but i know that it was it was in discussion at the time um it was from the same uh shadows of innistrad block uh but but no, I didn't really meet anybody else. Um, I met a couple of the people from Wizards of the Coast mm-hmm. um, at a photography studio. And, you know, uh, I get to say that uh, I loved magic cards so much as a kid, I grew up to be one.
0: <laughs> that is, that's impressive. That's still very impressive. And, and you're not just a model. You are an actor. You are a producer. You are a writer. You are a creator on various mediums. Uh, so a jack of all
1: trades. Uh, and I cook. And you cook. Hey, there you go. What's your favorite dish to cook? I make a mean butternut squash curry.
0: Ooh. I like some curry. That's, you know what? We're bonding here. We're going to have to meet up. I'll bring the meat. You get the curry. We'll have some fun. I'm just saying. I'm All just right. saying. <laughs> I'll send you the recipe. Uh, heck yeah. Uh, so, and yes, you are an actor. And you have gotten to not only dabble in the Magic the Gathering world. You have gotten to do Star Wars. You were in Obi Wan. You did several uh, roles in Obi Wan. You were a clone trooper. You were a stormtrooper, and you were a red alien named Snail Boy. Yep, uh, Snail Boy. The rest of you. <laughs> how how much
1: of a fan are you of Star Wars
0: beforehand?
1: Man, I grew up on Star Wars. I loved Star Wars it was one of the first movies that made me curious about filmmaking, Mm. because when I got, when I got over the age where you learned that they were actors Mm. and not a whole nother dimension, you're just peeking into, Mm. I realized that they were using a camera and when they changed from one angle, and it was specifically the scene where uh, Darth Vader has Princess Leia in the holding chamber, Mm. and the the torture droid is floating in. Mm. I looked at the room, and then they changed the angle, and I went, they couldn't do that. There's a wall there. They would have to be standing where the wall is. That doesn't make sense. And from there. Uh, you know, my dad explained because he worked as a set carpenter on some films uh, in L.A. when he got out of college um, before moving up to Washington, where he met my mom and settled. Um, and, you know, he's, He explained how the sets are built and how they they have walls, and they just they're really just drywall and paint, and they just scoot them to the side, put the camera where they need it. Get the shot, then scoot them back in change the direction of the camera continue filming until they get all the angles that they need. And then they just start splicing it all together. And I was, I was so fascinated by this that I worked all summer, saved up my money and bought a camcorder so that I could start making my own short films with my friends. Hmm. Um, And, you know, it was really silly stuff. Like uh, we did a little sketch comedy bits, like uh, the secret lives of mortal combat characters. I did that with my buddy, Woody Siskowski. And it was stuff like uh, Kano's cooking a show. And he he cooked the chicken with his laser eye. Uh, <laughs> being... I like that. That's you know what? That actually could be something there. Like, I, I don't think you should just sit on that.
0: that that's, that's good stuff right there.
1: It was fun. Um, I'm sure one of them is still online. Uh, I did one uh, for class. I, I started talking my teachers into letting me do uh, short films as assignments Mm. so um i had to do something about the just world war one stalin and trotsky no yes um i'd write something about them so instead i filmed a mortal Kombat sketch about them and i even did the (laughs) teleport punch bit by you know cutting the camera midair and then having me jump in the other side and punch him in the back of the head and and we used costumes to to make us look like we were the characters um uh and and Trotsky oh man I'm probably getting the names wrong it's been a minute <laughs> I'm not a history major um, uh, we gave him a, a a pick to to use as a weapon because he was um banished uh to to siberia uh exiled he was exiled to siberia afterwards and so it was like ice pick oh he was murdered with an ice pick that was it man it's all coming back to me i should uh, really study more (laughs) as you can tell the assignments were fun but didn't do me much good in the long run I I thought we would just go with the bit
0: like, you know, Hollywood and historical accuracy. You know, those two never have really been really truly together.
1: (laughs) I mean, super ironically, uh, what I'm doing right now as a producer is I'm making some promos for Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 2. Are you serious? Yep. Are you allowed to talk about that? Nope. (laughs) then I I am happy (laughs) like that that's it we're gonna leave it right there NDA Uh, the the trailer is out the trailer is out people you can go look at it and see Mel Brooks back on the screen he's there it's wonderful to see him again he's one of my absolute favorite directors in the whole world and the fact that this is coming out in the 40th anniversary is it's amazing it's it's a wonderful thing
0: That's truly amazing. I want to put a pen in that because I do want to come back to this part for a sec, but I'm curious because you have grown up, you know exactly how the sausage is made, if you will, and you have seen it from all the perspectives, you have a very passionate nerdy background, is is the magic still there for you when you go to movies when, let's say, uh, Mandalorian season three is about to come out, they just released the trailer do you still get that tingly magical feeling that the rest of us non LA Hollywood personnels get? Like, is it, or do you see that and go, Oh, I know how that's made. I know that's there. I know who that actor is. I, you know, I've seen this stuff.
1: You know, knowing is half the battle. Mm -hmm. And the other half is appreciation. I can watch a movie and go, Oh, I see something in the background. There's a Starbucks cup. Um, That's just lousy acting. You know, I can call it out like anyone else can. But mm. but knowing how it's done when I see something that's perfectly executed. Oh, it just thrills me. I love it. I can't get enough of of, of big screen cinema experiences because they are truly the novelty of our generation when i go to a theater i want to be transported to another dimension for two or more hours and when they can absolutely carry me from the beginning to the end without me even noticing i'm in the room i love it avatar 2 oh wow what an amazing piece and I knew they were doing the underwater one because I worked with one of the underwater cam operators while I was on Deadly's Catch. And he was like, oh, yeah, after this, I'm going to go work with James Cameron. I'm like, tell me more. And he's you know like, what? I can't. I can't. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. So I knew they were doing water six years ago, but. You know, that just gives me something to look forward to, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, my God. I know that they use a lot of motion capture and a mm-hmm. lot of green screen, which are different things. And how are they going to do all of that underwater as well? That is true. Yeah, I was thoroughly impressed with that. It's a technological marvel and yeah. really genius filmmaking. And that's the type of stuff that I go to theaters to see because it is still impactful when it's done so right.
0: Now, what about it? Because you did, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you worked on Obi-Wan. And that is a huge nostalgia right there because we got to go back to Tatooine. We got to go back with Elon McGregor. We got to go back to Obi-Wan. We got to see the progression of Luke Skywalker. And, you know, we got to see uh, Leia. And you got to be on set with that. So, first, my first qu- part of this question is: how did it feel to be on Tatooine? Second, afterwards, you know, was the magic still there for that?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought I thought I was going to peak with being a magic card <laughs> in terms of dreams coming true. Um, I got to play a stormtrooper. I also got to play a clone trooper and I got to play one of the red aliens. Um, I, I was playing what's called costumed characters, which is hmm. not something everyone can do because It is a combination of being very uncomfortable for very long periods of time um, and being just the right fit. Mm. Um, It turns out I am exactly the right size to be a stormtrooper, and I was lucky enough to be friends with someone already working on the show, my good friend Rory Ross, who I hope you are able to meet and interview as well because he's playing a Mandalorian on the new season. Is he? Yep. And he's friends with Rochelle Henry as well. We're all a little peer group. Oh, we're and... going to have to get you guys all on the show together. This this is oh, going to have to be a thing. It'll be a five-hour episode. It'll. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> it'll take forever. But, but man, being on Star Wars was something else. I mean, it was Star Wars and it was... On the set in some really just amazing scenes. Um, so being a stormtrooper was very very cool. Um, that being said, the armor is hilariously difficult to work in. the 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 little lenses in the helmet are are several inches from your eyes. So you have no peripheral vision whatsoever. So when Luke puts on the helmet and he's like, I can't see a thing out of these. I'm pretty sure that line was added <laughs> because you
0: can't. <laughs> so you're, you're telling us the reason that stormtroopers can't shoot is because they can't see. I, I think we oh, just yeah. solved
1: that. I think now we've solved some cannon. Either that, or they all all have the dark side of the force, and they're legally blind, and they're just <laughs> trying to follow the force, but they're not very strong with it, so it's sort of a like a a guiding glimpse versus a guiding light <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it, it's a that's a curious moment because like you said you are living various your childhood nostalgias, you're living various nerd fandoms there. And the fact that you were still able to enjoy them even afterwards, knowing how they're made and being there, um, I, I, I have no words for you. I'm legitimately, I'm going to keep saying this the rest of the night is. I'm jealous of you, because that's awesome. Like And you even got to be an alien. Like
1: how, Yep. what was that like? It was hot. <laughs> it was incredibly hot. We were filming the Moss Eisley scenes uh, mm. where Obi-Wan is at the, uh, the spaceport in mm. Moss Eisley, and he's about to leave. And so I'm one of the aliens that's walking in from the transport that landed that he's going to go get on. Mm. Um, so I'm walking in from the desert and I'm telling you, it was one hundred and six degrees out that day. Maybe it was one hundred and eight or nine. It was oh My God, you know, you're filming in a, a desert. Yeah, we're no, actually yeah. filming at the bottom of a gravel pit, but it's a desert at the bottom of a gravel pit and it's still 160 degrees out and so you you think that's bad the costume i was wearing was six layers because they're all sorts of robes that and and little you know bags and and shawls and things um and and little uh ties and Oh, man, I mean, it's really cool putting it putting it all on. But once you've got it all on, and the costumes approved, uh, you you just have to live in it the rest of the day. And, uh, and they also put this, it's so the really cool thing about being one of the aliens is is how some of the how just how how some of them get put together. The one that I was has this big bulbous red head and these eye stalks and that's why they call him snail boy and he's wearing a turban and and so i uh had this (laughs) this, (laughs) this life vest on it was it was a life vest underneath the six layers or it was one of the layers whatever um and it has all these little snap buttons on it and then what they do right before you start filming is they take the head and they put it on you. And then they reach under your costume and they snap all of the pieces of the neck down so that when they pull the collar back up, it it all lays naturally and it comes mm. out of the clothing like your body does. Um, awesome. And then they snap, uh, they, they strap on um, latex arms onto you. And then they point you in a direction and say, go. and you've depending on which character you are have to find a creative way of seeing where you're going it doesn't always work um Rory speaking of him he was there that day playing a different costume character um and he had one little bar right about here that he could see Like down his nose through so he could only see the ground like right in front of his feet and he ended up walking into the wall twice (laughs) (laughs) i shouldn't laugh (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's funny because we all walk into things when we're in costumes that's like you have to measure where you're going the direction you're going walk normal Mm. and uh and and try not to walk into things like ewan mcgregor which I did on camera, cause I couldn't see what I was going through the little mouth hole. <laughs> the, oh my god. The, the costume person had an itty bitty little squirrel fan that they were pointing in the mouth to help try to cool me down between takes. Yeah. Cause they were oh, like, that? we're just gonna we're just gonna run through a couple of these really quick before we take the head back off, because it's a process. So they had the squirrel fan, but then it was like, All right, everyone to one. They closed the mouth, mm. and that was what I see through. I oh, close no. the mouth and then they're like action i'm like okay we're doing this And i just walk you know do my little alien walk forward and i just boom right into something and i turn around and through the itty bitty little pinhole that i can see it's obi-wan oh, staring no. me in the face and i just did the jedi mind i'm out of here <laughs> 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 scooted away as fast as they could, and I was like, "I hope that makes it on because it was a real natural moment. I really couldn't see where I was going, <laughs> and it's supposed to be a busy marketplace."
0: <laughs> oh my god,
1: that's awesome! Because all that's going through my head right now is
0: that 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 whole little meme thing that Obi Wan did, or like Ewan McGregor did on uh, the show. He goes, "That's Obi Wan Kenobi." Like it just <laughs>
1: yeah. It was just that moment where if my eyes could get any bigger, they would have. Um, oh my god. And then I'm afterwards, gonna... while the handlers are pulling me back to my space, and I'm like, I'm trying to open the mouth, guys. Like, he looks at me, and he's like,
0: <laughs> you good? <laughs> like, yeah. How, like, I wanted to ask you, because if it's already hot out there, how did you endure? Like, how does someone endure wearing all that stuff and living safely while do-
1: doing this? Well, I got to hand it to the Star Wars crew. Mm. they're all so professional, and they take such good care of each other and of the actors that they bring onto set. Um, Speaking from experience, I've worked on a lot of different shows in a variety of capacities, and sometimes you're you're there, and it's just 12 hours of like standing around, nothing to eat, nowhere to sit, bad weather. It can be some really miserable experiences. Um, But this one, even in all that heat, They had a whole bunch of handlers for all the costumed characters because they brought a whole mess of us in for that big Mos Isley scene. Mm. And and, uh, between the big setups, um, we had a cooling tent we could go to Mm. um, where they had AC units pumping in air and they'd close the flaps and we'd all go in there and take off as much as we could uh, without, you know, disrobing or... Mm. um, whatnot. And uh, other than that, you know, it's like you, you drink a lot of electrolytes, and you sweat profusely, you you drink a bottle of water, you do a couple takes, you drink another bottle of water. Um, and they actually had a really cool, um, it was like 100 feet by 50 feet. Um, so they had this, they had this massive, like 100 feet by 50 feet um shade uh being suspended by a crane um Mm. just to provide shade off camera um because you know all the camera gear and stuff that stuff doesn't respond well to heat either so i can only imagine as often as possible like they're throwing ice blankets on those things cool them down um when the camera's not rolling those fans are loud because they're trying to keep it from melting so
0: i can only imagine. But this does give us a good segue. We going from you as the actor to the field coordinator because you worked on Deadliest Catch. Uh, you had to maintain equipment and help out with stuff. Uh, not only in. So you went from we're going from one hundred and eight degree so like deserts to. Storms and ice cold weather.
1: Uh, sir, do you take us down that lo- lovely path. Well, uh I worked on season 14 and 15 of Deadliest Catch and a handful right. of specials um and I, I I was able to work my way up. I started as a PA on the show, production assistant and worked at, into a coordinator position and then the field coordinator position and they sent me out to Alaska um to uh to prep uh the season. Um so I was you know, it's it's actually a, a pretty large crew on that show mm-hmm. and in uh in Dutch Harbor and it can get you know, really, really cold out there. Um, But when you start the crabbing season is about October. um, Mm. Or November, we get there in October so we can set up the boats because each boat has about 40 cameras on it. And then we take them all down at the end of the season. So you have to put them all up, wire them all together, feed them into a server, configure the server, take you know get all the there's uh two cam ops that are producer shooters on each boat and they do everything so once the boats are rigged which is the real big push Mm -hmm. they go out to sea and they don't come back until they're done catching their load Mm -hmm. and and so um luckily i didn't have to go out to sea with them um Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's unfortunate i didn't get to go out to sea with them because that's really where the action is as dangerous as it is that's the once in a lifetime opportunity that I wanted to go to Alaska for. Mm. Um, I did get to get on the boats, and I did get to go from uh, one dock to the other dock. <laughs> <laughs> but I,
0: I am curious though, because you were working on the equipment, like you, you know, you you do all these things to set up all the stuff for these shows, and it is, and I say this reality TV, but it's you set up this equipment. How do you ensure the safety of this equipment? Like that is a very much a real thing. These are ships that are going into dangerous waters. How do you keep that equipment? One, you don't want to lose the stuff. That's a lot of money Two, You don't want that to fall on anybody. So like safety is definitely a thing, right?
1: Oh, totally. Totally. Safety is number one. Like any, any film or television production that's worth its salt, safety comes first. And then we immediately try to break as many osha violations as humanly possible <laughs> uh, but um what what they do um with the uh, the larger um high quality cameras um they were using reds one season and then we switched to panasonics um and the uh we have these large plexiglass housings that are watertight mm. and then we just feed out the cables um through a, a watertight um, seal to the captain's quarters or the uh the helm wherever the server is set up and and it just feeds directly into a hard drive and they just run them all day. Um and the camera operators, you know, kind of go around while the show while they're filming and, and ensure that everything is running. Um because sometimes they need to reset the camera. Sometimes stuff will fall down. Um most all of it is safety harnessed in place. Um they use a braided uh, wire um, ropes with have little carabiners on them so they they ensure that the cameras if they do come unhooked um because some of them are suctioned on and some of them Mm. are tied on some of them use uh grip clamps um like mayford but you know if they come loose because the boats are rocking um you know the cam operators are responsible for getting them back up to speed occasionally things break if it breaks you know, we have maybe one spare camera on each boat, um, and a couple of spares uh, back at land. And uh, and when stuff breaks, you know, usually it's it's someone like me calling LA and saying, "Yeah, we need a replacement sent up now." Mm-hmm. And then we get to play the game with FedEx to see how we can get it up there because there's only so many flights that go out to Dutch Harbor. Um, from Anchorage, and they only go out when the weather is good. So, sometimes you get your mail and sometimes you don't. Um, it's it's a game, uh, and it's a challenge. I, I can only imagine. Now, is there
0: anything that you, because you did two seasons with them, is there any things you guys did differently in season 15 versus season
1: 14? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, between the two seasons, we tried to create a a talk show uh, with all the captains. Uh, We called it the bait like debate. We filmed that bad dad jokes, bad dad joke. Oh, yeah. Those guys are full of them. They're they're all they're all funny guys uh I enjoyed my time with them um yeah everyone on that show is really great to work with for the most part um but you know we we did the talk show spent like two weeks filming that um did a couple specials where we mostly just send up a couple camera operators and they they go out and film them while they're like doing the salmon runs and stuff um and then uh and and so the talk show was kind of a new thing um Mm. so putting that together involved like coming up with with talk show games that they could do between episodes or or after episodes um, because the idea was it's an episode and then there's this was when like the talking dead was out and so Mm -hmm. like shows talking about shows was Mm. was blowing up so we made one too Mm. Um, so like coming up with games that these guys could play was actually like a weird fun challenge Um, we we had one where we were like um, we're gonna give you some nautical terminology that that anyone who's on the sea regularly would know, but we're only gonna use emojis. So you have to read the emojis <laughs> and tell us what it says. Um, so that was one of the games. And then one of them, um, we did a habanero eating contest with the guys. Um, they had to bite the head off a herring at one point. Uh, I think the loser had to bite the head off the herring. And yeah, that was gross. Uh, (laughs) We we had puke buckets on set (laughs) just in case. Um, Uh, And yeah, and season 15, we added a new boat to the show, um, which, you know, meant new crew, new interviews, new setups uh, and a new timeline because uh, the the people at Discovery were You know, working out the contract and whether or not they were going to have this boat on the show or not up until the last minute. So, you know, we were on pins and needles. Like, are we going to order seven boats worth of gear or six boats worth of gear? Because that's a lot. That's a big difference.
0: I I can only imagine because I'm going back to your previous statement of talking about getting stuff from FedEx or, you know, however you guys got that shipped up there. That is a big what if. (laughs) Um, I I can only imagine the headaches that that may have or have not brought along with it.
1: Oh Lord, um, yeah, uh, season fourteen. So one of the things that we would do on the show to get all the equipment up there hmm. is we would send as much of the rigging and grip equipment as possible, the non-electronics, up on one of the boats. Because uh, those boats don't live in Alaska all year round, they most of them harbor or dry dock in like the Seattle area. Hmm. Um, So either we send a grip truck of gear up to Seattle, and then we'll load a bunch of the gear onto their boat because they're going to take it to Alaska anyways. Hmm. That that's how we get the bulk of the more replaceable items, uh, you know, moved. It's not always a perfect system. Um, sometimes the cranes drop stuff on the high seas. Um, and 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 when we get stuff back, you know, some of it went through the weather. Um, and if, if it didn't get packed properly and the boxes didn't get sealed properly, you know, it can get wet. I, I remember opening up a Dana Dolly case and the entire case, I'm talking like four feet by two feet by two feet full of mold oh because the seawater got into it and it sat and it sat and it sat and it sat and by the time we were unloading it to return the rented items oh man that was gross
0: oh my god i can not even imagine stomach
1: (laughs) i i went up and work on fishing boats and i don't mind the fresh air you know but like oh mold no thank you oh my gosh
0: um I do want to go back because I can't believe we didn't talk about this because you were talking about uh, motion capture earlier. You have done motion capture. You have done some really yes. cool things. You have worked on video games. A couple. You have uh, I've done a few. And a- another nerdy, I'm jealous moment. Uh, you have yeah. done you <laughs> have Star, Star Wars Squadron. You've done Gears of War 5. <laughs> you worked on Apex. Like... Mm-hmm. I, uh, let's let's discuss this. I don't even know how do we get into this because I'm just like, wow. What? Why do you have such a? I should ask this question first. Why are you? Is just LA a buffet for you? Do you are you just dabbling here and there, or is there
1: a certain reason I'm for it? Still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up.
0: <laughs> yes, that is. That's it. That is a lot of different things and you are touching a lot of different areas and that's it's so fascinating it truly is uh you have done some voiceover acting too
1: yeah so it all kind of rolls into itself it's a it's a domino effect of of finding a job, meeting people, networking. Telling them what you're looking to do and them passing you to the next person who does that. Mm-hmm. And and you know, sometimes you make a good impression and you get to work with a group or a company for years. Sometimes it's just a show. Sometimes it's two ships passing in the night, you're on for one day, you never see them again. Um, so I got into voice acting because I was working on the motion capture crew and mm. i was acting asking the actors on the on the motion capture how did you get this job cuz as an actor i never see casting calls for motion capture it's such a niche skill set and field that i was like where do you get this work and the answers they gave me were oh we're voice actors i was like but you're doing th- the 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 movement with the body and all the little shiny balls and you know they're like well yeah you know but they get stuntmen to do all the stunts and we are here for the performance and most of what we do is in the voiceover booth but they hire us to be the character and we play the character any way they want it which includes the motion capture and that got me really interested in voiceover because I mean I grew up loving, and this is another part of my nerddom, but loving anime, loving cartoons, Looney Tunes, Mel Blanc's voice, it's amazing. He does all the voices of the original Looney Tunes and that was like such an inspiration. So growing up, I did a lot of improv and I tried to get into stand-up comedy and I loved doing impressions. And I was like, oh my God, voiceover is a career. What the heck have I been doing with my life? because I even studied broadcast. I, I, I worked on a radio show. And <laughs> <laughs> know how to do sound engineering. I learned that stuff. And I was like, Oh, my God. And a lot of these people like they work from home, like I built my own voiceover booth um, in my apartment here, because a lot of the stuff you do from home, they don't they don't have time to bring you into the studio every time they need a pickup line. It's mm-hmm. really expensive. Sometimes they're like, we just want to know what your voice sounds like for an addition." So go record one page of dialogue. Send us your samples. You send it in. They pick who they want. Um, it's a it's a tough career to break into, even though it's one that you theoretically can do at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It also requires a lot of detail work on how you are set up at home, the equipment you're using, the sound treatment in your space so that the outside world is not coming into the microphone. It's very important. And also learning how to use your own uh, diaphragm and vocal cords, lungs, mouth, all, all of those contribute to the final product. And learning how to use them correctly is very important because if you're going to talk for six hours, you you've got to be able to talk for six hours. You've got to be, as they say, uh, in practice, you have to train <laughs> the muscle and keep it keep moving. But like there's things in voiceover that they trim out of final products. You never know about, but you learn about them as you're studying this field, like mouth noises. Mouth noises is something that we all make that we automatically filter out. But once you get onto a really high quality microphone, you start hearing. Oh yes. Yes. Just, just while you're talking, you know, this because you're running a podcast, (laughs) but for the sake of the audience listening, it's, it's something that we are very self-conscious about, but we put great effort into not doing on purpose. So voiceover is also what I consider a wonderful challenge. Um, mm-hmm. it, is, it is really fun when you get to do it, uh, but it's a very competitive field because everyone wants to do it. you know, Who doesn't want to be on Gears of War or the newest Nickelodeon show, et cetera. Et cetera. I mean, like the list goes on and on and on. There's voiceover everywhere. There is work out there, finding it, capturing it that's the challenge. I'm a guy who likes challenges. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so I'm curious now because you you do you are as a self-proclaimed nerd you do uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, oh do, yep. do you take these skills these this art in, as an entertainer if
1: you will and oh, yeah. implement it into your Dungeons and Dragons? Absolutely. I got into D&D uh, a couple of years ago, because I met some really great people, some of my favorite people in the world. I met Ron Swallow, who's a stand-up comedian here in Los Angeles uh, and a podcast uh, artist. Why not? Um, he's a host. He, he runs uh, Nerd Goat and The Greatest Pod uh, with his friend Ed Greer and a couple other just great stand-up comedians who are all very nerdy and, and exuberant and hilarious um so definitely check them out but I met him um and and because well he he he, uh was working with my wife and Mm -hmm. and he was like you ever try D&D and she was like no um but I'm interested and talked to me and I was like I'm interested too actually let's let's totally do it so Ron invited us and we met our friend Zach Ford who is A wonder, just such a wonderful human being. I adore him. He is a guy who has done so much in his life for other people in wonderful ways. Um, and he's also a game designer. Um, you know, so he was the dungeon master, and so Tasha and I came in to this this new family of people around a table got some dice and bought the books and got involved and never looked back. It's it amazing. As love at first sight with a game as you can get. And I'm so grateful to my friends for, for bringing me in and sharing the passion with me because it has consumed my life. <laughs> in a good way nice no I,
0: I i don't want to get off the subject of you because this God, episode is about you but your wife is named tasha mm-hmm. you guys were destined for D. you realize that right like if you don't have like a little cauldron for her or make jokes right? about her hideous laughter or something of that sort these are you kidding me these are <laughs> yeah. husband jokes that you were just like letting like Oh, softball to end, are you kidding me? That's- I know, it was meant to be. <laughs> it was, it was destiny. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. Uh, but you know, we have talked a lot about your past and we have talked about who you are and so the, some of the amazing things you have done. We need to focus because we, we have been going for a little bit here and I wanna make sure we focus on the stuff that is upcoming because you do have projects that are upcoming. Uh, you recently produced a short film called Norman. Uh, you know would you love to talk about that
1: yes norman was a wonderful project to work on um and uh and it links into all my friends as 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 all of my stories do but um so (laughs) so uh there's a thing um called uh the 48 hour film project Mm. Wonderful thing it's done internationally, and if you're a filmmaker or an actor or a creative and you want to get involved in any part of the business look it up find where it's happening near you and sign up and just go have fun, because what it is is a 48 hour commitment to make something. You just make a movie just go do it you draw a character name a prop a line of dialogue and a genre like 6pm friday and your seven minute film is due 6pm sunday so get going and that seems like and that seems like that's such a short time not to cut you off like but
0: it is seven minutes seems like that's that's not a lot of movie but that's a lot to do in
1: 48 hours yeah i mean you think seven minutes is not a lot of time watch john wick see what he does in seven minutes like that's, that's how complicated films can be. And so trying to make seven minutes of a, feat of, a, of a short film that makes sense, that has all of those check marks is a wonderful challenge. And, and it's a good way to, to work with new people or with old friends. It's fun, it's creative. And ultimately, even if you make something that's not very good, you only spend 48 hours on it. It's not the end of the world, but it can be a really great beginning for a lot of people. That, nice. was, that was how I've, I've made some of my best friends was through working on the 48-hour film festival in various cities. Um, so the film I produced, uh, Norman, was uh, a, a bromance uh, between a man and a houseplant. And <laughs> I play the titular character, Norman, the houseplant, and he had a little bow tie before I lost it. (laughs) And Norman liked to talk like this. Norman, I'm a rubber fig. (laughs) he's like, wow, you're a weird plant. Rubber fig, get it right. So I got to play a very silly voice with a very silly character. That was a house plant and (laughs) And and the, the film did pretty good at the festival. Um, we unfortunately got it in a minute late, one minute late. Oh, we no. Had a browser snafu and it was one minute late. So oh, unfortunately, no. we weren't in the running for the, the main awards, but we did get an audience choice award for the family friendly filming. Um, hey, screening. congratulations, though. I mean, that yeah. sucks, but that's that's still amazing. Yeah, but you know what? Everybody who saw it was like, just loving it. There was so much raucous laughter in the theater. That's why I make movies. I want people to have a good time. I make movies because I want to see people light up with enjoyment. I want to thrill their imagination, tickle their sense of humor, and, and if possible, give them a roller coaster of emotions that they want to talk about afterwards. That's when storytelling is its best is when you just can't wait to tell someone about it and And so man we got to do that and you have a lot of creative ideas you do a
0: lot of really creative things and you can see in your work uh that you definitely put the TLC the blood sweat and tears and you definitely have that just overall joy of loving what you do whatever you're doing at the time but you put your whole self into it and you can very much see that in your work and I know you're uh, currently, uh, you're writing a screenplay right now, uh, that's inspired by about your father.
1: Yes, yes. Um, on a more dramatic note. Um, yes. You know, I love working in comedy. It's, it's a, been a guiding light my whole life. Um, but uh, I've been uh, creatively blocked the last couple of years. I mean, 2020 was a was a big roadblock for a lot of us, but it, mm. it served a different type of creative block for me because I wasn't interacting with people the same way I used to. And, and a lot of what I would write came from my life as it was progressing. I'd talk about some of my ideas with people or I'd have a weird conversation, just be like, you know, that's just like a really good little sound bite. I'm gonna write that down and put it into my screenplay. I've written a handful of screenplays already, um, tried to option them before, haven't found much luck. It's, it's challenging, it's a challenging career. Mm. Um, but more importantly than just trying to sell something funny or, or for a laugh or just to make a buck, I realized that I want to pay homage to my father, who unfortunately passed away from ALS uh, when I was 10 years old. And he was a, a wonderful man who had a just such a sense of humor. He was always a bright spot in the room, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I admired that so much about him. And that's part of why I work in comedy and why I tell stories is because he was so good at it it's something that i have in my genes and and i want to also pass on as much as i can but i've never really been able to deal with his passing away even 20 years later so i've got a good friend who's who's going through some issues with his father as well, and and we made an agreement that we were going to both work on our screenplays about our struggle, what we're going through, because that's the most honest we can be as a storyteller, is not necessarily living in Dungeons and Dragons, but living within your own family and circumstances and not, not looking away. So my biggest regret is that my father wasn't able to see me grow up to accomplish these things in my life. So I'm going to do the next best thing. I want to tell his story. And, and so that's what I'm working on this year. I'm working on a story about losing a father, but I don't want it to just be a sob story. He, he suffered a terrible debilitating disease, Lou Gehrig's disease as it's more, more commonly known, amulotrophic lateral sclerosis is the, what ALS stands for. And um, and not a lot of people have to deal with it, but it is, it's cruel. It's truly cruel. And if I, can, if I can help continue to raise awareness, as the ice bucket challenge did, to find a cure for this, I owe it to him and for everyone else who has to deal with this. I owe it to them because I don't want anyone to ever deal with that again. But I want as much of my dad's wonderful sense of humor to come through. So I'm writing all of the best memories. And I'm gonna see where that puts me. Because that might be the story right there. That's
0: very impactful. And I think i can speak for everyone when i say we appreciate and thank you for allowing us to be a part of your life and touch these very sensitive moments for you and it's we each deal with our own crosses that we have to bear and finding a way to cope with yours and to bring awareness and promote lightheartedness and love into it is very much reciprocated and appreciated and I look forward to seeing your screenplay when you're done with it. I think it's going to definitely be a deep and impactful thing. And honestly, I, I, I want to end this episode here because I can't think of a better way than getting to know you on a much more in-depth level that we typically tend to go on the podcast. And I speak, like I said, I speak from the bottom of my heart, truly, truly do. And I think I speak for my listeners and I say, thank you so much for letting us be a part of your life and you opening up your heart to letting us experience these moments with you truly from the bottom of my heart. Um,
1: if I'm honored, I'm honored to be here.
0: Um, I, I, I I legitimately have no words. Um, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. It truly has been a pleasure. Um, and I know we will be speaking again. However, where can the good people out in Nerd Nation support you and follow you wherever they might be?
1: Everything I do is is just under my name. I'm just at Conrad Roble, uh, spelled with a W like wrong. And <laughs> if you spell wrong, it's okay. There's not a lot of Conrad <laughs> Robles out there. So you're probably going to find the one with the picture of Jace and be like, oh, that's that's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> we will definitely
0: make sure we put your link in the podcast and everything. Uh, you truly have been an, an amazing person to have on the show. So let's go ahead and let's wrap this up. As always, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please remember to rate and review. We're also on Instagram and Facebook, so please like and follow us at DNA Pod. We're on Twitter at NerdDNA Pod. Or on our webpage, nerddnapod.com. I am Steve Q, and I have been joined by the connoisseur of all things nerdy. Uh, The glutton, if you will, of, of nerd <laughs> culture over here. Not sharing any of it with us. No, but the the, the you are truly an amazing person. You've been a, a, a light of joy on the show and I don't want to take for away from this moment that you shared with us earlier and nothing but good things to say. Thank you sir for being on the show tonight. Uh definitely have an open invitation for you. It has been an absolute pleasure.
1: Steven, it's been a blast. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. I hopefully will be able to actually answer your questions next time (laughs) (laughs) and not ramble on oh no that's what we do on the show we go on tangents that's
0: that's, welcome to the dna podcast this is what we
1: do oh i love it
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you and good night